You know you can't smoke in here, Yanir. The voice snapped through the gloom of the mortuary. They were all stood around the body of Panjid Oshok, skinless and laid out on a metal slab in the basement of the Southern District Watch Office. Yanir's scribe had lit his pipe, and occasionally exhaled into a small vent in the ceiling. Balasar, sitting next to him, sighed and waved his hand. A bluish sparkle appeared in the air, and the cloud of smoke vanished. Scribe raised an eyebrow, and continued to smoke his pipe. The room had large slabs that rose up out of the floor. The skin body of Panjid Oshok lay on one of them. There were other bodies, these ones covered by thin linen cloths. Nia, Scribe, Nathan and Balasar watched as a tall tabaxi woman, Isabel Mort, inclined her head and inspected one of the many slices on Panjid's corpse. It's the same as before, it's very clean movements, she motioned in the air with a slicing action. Same slices at the neck, and then up the middle, and then, well, off with the whole thing. At least he left us with this one, you know, by the body. In a rush? asked Nathan to no one in particular. I guess he was using the spectacle at the hustings as a distraction? Well then, why would he distract everyone in the southern district if he was busy carving away in the eastern wilds? Don't forget, uh, look west, Nathan reminded Nia. The barum and pull, grunted Scribe. The rest looked confused for a moment, except Nia who nodded slowly. Oh, it's a, a crater great play. You get your best player to run down one wing at the opposition defence. They pull their defence out of position to try and tackle your guy, uh, but they end up leaving parts of the pitch undefended. Meanwhile, you get someone else to run into the space, and the best guy passes the disc, the second guy scores easily since the defence is, you know, already out of position. Threatening from one place, hit another. Shows us that he can be everywhere. Guerrilla tactics, destabilising defences 101, you know? Military tactics? Oh, for sure. Oh, he knows what he's doing. The dwarf took another puff on the pipe and looked around. Where's Sherman? The, the chief should be all over this. Oh, uh, he was supposed to be organising some protection for some uh, diplomats staying in the Western Quarter. They're visiting the Southern District for a little while, said Isabel, looking over some notes. For the election? Oh, no, uh, they're the ones meeting with uh, Premier Oakbow, right? said Nia, the conversation with security detail in the Western Quarter a few days ago, coming back to her suddenly. Ah, yes, now that makes sense. Uh, he said they're from over the Black Mountains. Other than that, he didn't know. Well, actually, he said that no one tells him anything. I saw him leave this morning in all kinds of a huff. Isabel finished and they all smiled. More diplomats means more trouble. Or rather, more trouble means more diplomats. Other sissies must have heard the news by now. They must be concerned enough to want their eyes on Tarthage, intoned Balasar from behind them, peering over their heads to look at the body, before noticing the smoke and moving his fingers again. The smoke vanished again. Uh, or maybe a glorified trip to the Western Quarter? A little bit of retail therapy? grunted Scribe. Well, at least we know his voice now, said Nathan. They all fell silent until Balasar and Scribe spoke at once. Sound sticks! They exclaimed, making everyone jump. He was using sound sticks for his little show at the Hustings. Someone's got to know how he did that, or maybe even helped him do it, Scribe said, slapping his hand against the table. The Eastern Wilds has many new secrets now that magic has made its home there. 
Might be wise to take a look. Balasar nodded along. If we can get a permit, of course, those magic industry places are... secretive by their very nature. Scribe looked up, stubbing his finger into the pipe and extinguishing it as he smiled. He held it up in front of him before slapping his hands together. The pipe vanished between them. Isabel smiled and made to clap. Where did you learn magic? I didn't, Yanir replied. The dwarf reached down one sleeve and pulled the pipe out, repeating the trick slowly and revealing the sleight of hand. Balasar watched closely, allowing the corners of his scowled lips to curl upwards. Not as impressive once you know how he does it. Hey, I'm Tom. And I'm Stuart. And we're from the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. We talk about all things connected to D&D lore. And we're on the Robots Radio Network. So if you're into Dungeons & Dragons or you're into lore, then come check us out. You can find us on any podcatcher. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get podcasts. Roll more dice. That's the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. The ride out to the eastern wilds was pleasant enough, the four of them bouncing slightly in the back of the wagon as it trundled along, field after field of corn beside them. After two hours in the wagon, it took a sharp left and began up a hill. Looking through the slats in the side, Nathan could see that they'd left the fields behind. Beneath them, the rough tracks given away to smooth streets of what looked like pure white marble. The wagon pulled into a large plaza with tall buildings on all sides, rising out of nowhere seemingly. The back doors swung open, and they all emerged, blinking into the sun as it reflected off every surface around them. Standing in the centre, the plaza looked even bigger. They looked up at the various buildings, crafted from a mixture of white ceramic and huge glass window panes. Humans, gnomes, elves, orcs, tabaxi, too many to count, were walking lazily to and from the buildings, carrying files and chatting amongst themselves. Checking her notes, Nia nodded to a multi-storey building adorned with three large steel letters, each about ten feet high, fixed to the front. An M, an I, and a C. Major illusions, communications, said Balasar, following Nia and the rest towards the building's foyer. They walked up a few steps and passed through two large glass doors that slid aside automatically. Hey, money to burn. Yeah, but only if you can make the smoke disappear, eh, scribe? muttered Nathan in his ear as they approached the front desk where a young half-orc man in form-fitting grey robes was sat. He looked up and smiled. Nia explained the situation quickly, flashing her baton in the process to nods and sympathetic looks from the man behind the desk who picked up a sound stick, turning the bass and sending a message to another part of the building, presumably. He motioned to a large number of light green couches across the large foyer and they sat down, they cast their eyes about the lush open space littered with potted plants and sliding glass doors, some of them tinted darker to obscure whatever was happening behind them. People bustled by, some of them talking into sound sticks and some carrying large boxes or pushing crates. Nathan closed his eyes and ran his hands along the couch. Like the council building during the hustings, this whole building was vibrating. So much magic, so many people. It was difficult to focus on anything, even the bigger picture. The swish of the doors, footsteps in their thousands, the chatter of sound sticks passing them by. A voice broke and caught his attention. Nathan opened his eyes to see a tall tabaxi strolling towards them, a hand outstretched. 
Arwen Hundricks was barefoot and wore a white linen suit, loose and flowing, at a contrast to his dark orange fur, a small white tuft which could be seen at the edge of his tail which swished and curled slowly as he walked. His ears, also flecked with white, curled high above his head. Nathan noted that they were always turning in an opposite direction to his gaze, the dark green eyes split with black pupils. Uh-oh, ECU everyone, down on the ground. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm Owen Hundricks, uh, Major Illusions Communications CEO. He laughed and grabbed Balasar's hand as the Dragonborn stood up. Beaming at them, he reached out and shook each of their hands in turn before beckoning them to follow him. Hundrix led them towards the back of the foyer and beyond a set of glass-tinted doors. Fourth floor, if you please, he said grandly to no one seemingly, until the floor began to rise beneath them. They passed three more sets of glass doors as they rose. A fourth set of doors then slid open and they found themselves in another large room. The outermost wall was entirely made of glass, but the room itself was dusky, as if in a perpetual evening time. There was a large desk which Arwen strode over and sat behind. Clapping his hands, four more chairs slid noiselessly from a nearby conference table and assembled in front of his desk. One by one they exchanged looks, and then slowly sat down. So, you're uh, here to talk about the sound sticks, huh? Said Arwen, quickly, with a large smile showing ice-white teeth. Uh, yes, yes. You're aware that the sound sticks were illegally operated during a recent... uh, Terror incident, said Nia to a flurry of enthusiastic nods from the tabaxi. I saw everything. I am. I was there. Not in the crowd, but in the uh, the southern district. That awful voice. It's the person doing the, um, religious killings, isn't it? Alwyn spoke quickly, but carefully, his eyes and ears snapping in all directions as he went. Well, well uh, yes, I mean... We'd like to know if you've seen or heard anything suspicious recently. A disgruntled employee, maybe someone's been hanging around, or... A protester, said Alwyn. We've had some trouble with the locals recently. Uh, you know, the usual stuff. The usual stuff? What counts as usual stuff around here? Asked Scribe, leaning forward. Well, for the first few years it was relatively quiet, but recently we've been having trouble from the locals. They think we're here to ruin everything. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. Most of them have more magic in their blood than I do. Uh, The gnomes, mainly since it's the Eastern Wilds, but the the half-orcs, the... um... He nodded towards Balasar and Yanir. What kind of trouble? Pressed Nia, leaning forward in her chair slightly. Oh, protests, uh, threatening mail, the odd uh, kerfuffle in the street. They think we're here to steal jobs, which we're not, by the way. We've bought just as much land as the other companies. I mean, by the gods. Uh, Fairy Fire Incorporated owns all that out there. Dig sites throughout the city and a stretch of the coastline. We just have, well, this. He motioned around them. Building up. It's the way to go. Uh, Trust me. Hey, well... You can't beat the view. Well, obviously, but, you know, nothing beyond the usual. Of course, the moment I returned last night, I had a very best trying to figure out how that guy did it. The mass call, overtaking the usual, well, enchantments that we put on the sound sticks, I mean. Any luck? asked Nia. Well, yes. Unfortunately... It appears that our sound sticks, I mean, in the rush to be released, are rather open to, um, 
outside suggestions. Okay, so you know how a few select people, they can send messages using like uh, natural magic or whatever in their blood. Well, the soundsticks are merely kind of imbued with that enchantment and send messages simultaneously, giving the illusion of back and forth conversation. But it's not. It's a constant back and forth flow of singular sending spells. What we found is that it's possible with enough sound sticks packed close together, like the other night, one powerful sending spell can set them all off at once, like we saw. His ears droop slightly, his tail curling up and around one wrist. Is it possible to track where he might have sent that spell from? Not without suitable magic, a tracking magic, cast exactly when he's casting the sending spell of his own. Owen's tail flicked onto his wrist as they fell into silence. But even, you know, that's not impossible. With a conductor big enough, in theory at least, we could try and track the spell. How big would that conductor need to be? asked Scribe. Well, that the sound sticks are only actually effective if you're about a mile or so away from each other. Basically, if you're in the same sort of district. Maybe not even then. To call further, we realized we could use carriage forks to transmit the signals way beyond what an average soundstick could do. So, grunted Scribe, leaning forward in his seat as well now. So, if we cast a locate magic spell using the carriage forks as conductors, you could track every single spell in the city, finished Balasar. By the gods. What power you wield, Alwyn. And they all fell silent again. Well, hey, I mean, if not us, then who? We need to fix this. The pressure from the politicians and now, well, you. It's not looking good. Hey, the Grand Premier is taking away your license, is he? <laughs> not quite, but uh, I doubt the Everstills are too happy with us. Nathan perked his head up. Why's that? Well, we supplied their whole team with sound sticks right before the campaign begun. Uh, his daddy, uh, Lucian, Lucius, Lucius, wanted to be able to talk to any member of their team at any time. Lucky them, huh? Nathan smiled and nodded, remembering how standoffish Lucius had been the day before. How quickly could we do this? Well, I mean, I'm not sure if it's legal... I'm not even sure if there are laws out there for this. Tracking every single piece of magic in all of Tarthage? Alwyn trailed off, turning in his seat slightly and staring out of the large window behind him. If they have nothing to hide, began Nia, then they have everything to lose, grunted Yunia Scribe, running one hand through his beard. Nathan suddenly winced, screwing up his eyes and reaching out to grip the desk in front of him. There was a ringing in his ears. Building and building until... Run, run, run. Little mice. Into the field and far away. Morthos' voice rang out around them suddenly. Dear, dear. It appears the Southern District Watch has decided to turn tail and flee. So far from my work. But they still can't see the bigger picture. No matter... There's still plenty to do. I'm doing two next. 
and you'll never see me coming. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going no manting. The buzzing stopped and was quickly replaced by an all-too-familiar din of screaming and shouting around them. They all jumped up except Nathan, who staggered to his feet. What on earth? Alwyn cried, making for the doors they'd arrived through. The other four followed him closely. No manting? Oh my god. Oh my god. He's coming here. He's coming here. Alwyn continued, looking around in a panic. The doors had slid open, revealing the foyer in disarray. People were running back and forth, doors opening and closing around them. It's a barrow and pull, said Nathan, rubbing his head as they made for the entrance, Alwyn tagging along behind them, confused. It's a distraction, explained Balasar, moving past Hundricks as they began piling into the wagon. Nia was last in, pausing as she did to look at Alwyn. Stay here. Stay safe. We will be back. Okay? We'll be back, she said, staring at him and nodding before the wagon door slammed shut. Western Quarter, ASAP, she shouted as they heard the wagon wheels spin under them before they all lurched as it pulled away at speed back in the direction they'd come earlier. He wants everything, everyone combining in the eastern wilds while he guts the diplomats, said Nathan, realising quickly what was happening. The wagon pitched left and right as it veered towards the western quarter. Balasar exhaled, two small flashes of bright blue flame at his nostrils, filling the wagon with hot air. It's not as impressive when you know it's done. This has been Tales of Tarthage. This episode was written and edited by Samuel Bradley. The title music was Who Am I to Complain by Alec Michael Wilson. Extra sounds were provided by Zapsplat.com. This was a Starter Set Studio production. Hello. Hi. Do you like bad movies? Do you find yourself defending bad movies, saying things like, well, the soundtrack was okay, or the costumes were pretty fun? From the previous hosts of It's Not That Bad Podcast, we bring you Fresh Tomatoes, the movie podcast, from Simone LaRue and Chad Ekovitz. Every week, we review two movies that did not do well critically, but we say, hey, there are some nice things about them. Maybe Rotten Tomatoes was wrong. Maybe they're all fools, and you should watch these movies regardless. We'll also talk about scenes that could have saved it, and we'll often refer to Simone's cats because they're amazing and adorable, and we love them. <laughs> and at the end of each review, we will tell you whether we would watch this movie again, or in what circumstances we would recommend you watch this movie. So, join us on July 9th for the first drop of our main episode, and then two days later for our drop of our minisodes. And on Robots Radio Podcast Network. Come see us on July 9th. We love you so much already. Bye! Bye. Do you like adventure? Yeah. Do you like laughing? Uh, yeah. Would you like to listen to a group of people you don't know play D&D and reference retro pop culture you vaguely remember? Um... Excellent. You're going to love Committee Quest. We play D&D in the world of Amarin. We use adventure modules and supplements made by people in the community. We also have a sweet synthwave backing track. Come and join us on our adventure. Volume 1 has been completed. Volume 2 coming the end of January. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts from.